everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We are going to talk about eschatology. Are you ready for this? Eschatology, if you're not sure about what eschatology is, it's basically the end, end times, the prophetic look into the future. Ezekiel, which is where we're looking at, what we've been looking at over the next, our last few weeks, um, talks about in the, in the last, really the last eight chapters or more than that, talks about um, the, the, the end days, the, 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 the last days of when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. And so in Ezekiel chapters, I just, we'll start it out here, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, um, describe a, and give measurements. And so if you do like a, a, like a year reading of the Bible, and you get to these, some of these verses of like reading through the Bible in a year, and you get to like Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, this is when you sort of like skip ahead, you know what I mean? Or this is where you want to like... I don't know how this is really helpful for me kind of a thing. And I get that. I get that. And so that's kind of where, what this is. And, and, um, and so it, it talks about uh, 318 uh, precise measurements and the use of 37 unique architectural terms. Uh, things like doorposts, windows, uh, arches, stairs, pillars. Uh, these are the kind of things. And so it's describing this particular thing of, me- of measurements and, and, the, and the, how massive this, this particular structure is. And what it's describing is, it's describing a temple. That's what it's describing. It's describing a temple. Now, based on the, the specific measurements that it gives us from Ezekiel's chapter 40 to 48, um, and, and it doesn't just necessarily even talk about the t- a temple, but it even talks about, even the last few chapters of Ezekiel talks about a territory that would be given, um, that, that, w- that would be promised uh, to, to the nation of Israel that ha- they haven't occupied yet. And so, you know, looking at that and looking at what it is, it's described. And so the, based on just the temple itself, though, it, it's too massive. It's too large to be Solomon's temple. It's, even though Solomon's temple was, was massive and large and beautiful and amazing, but it's this temple that is described here in Ezekiel, that is, that, that what Ezekiel sees, is much, much bigger than even Solomon's temple. And it's certainly bigger than, if you remember when we did a, a study through Haggai, um, it's much, much bigger than Zerubbabel's temple, right? And even people that were building uh, you know, the temple, uh, once they returned from exile, were like, this temple is is like not even close to being as glorious as Solomon's temple. And so, but it's describing a temple. Well, when then, the question is, well, when and where is this temple? When and where is this temple? Well, here's when and where this temple will exist. It will exist in what is called the millennial 
kingdom, the millennial kingdom, okay? The millennial kingdom, the millennial means a thousand years. And so what I believe, and again, there's different views on what the millennial kingdom is. There's people that believe um, in my approach that I'm going to take with you today. I'm going to be very upfront and very honest. It is a pre-millennial approach. It's a pre-millennial approach, okay, is what I'm going to give present to you today, but there's also viable uh, way, other approaches and other ways in which the scripture is interpreted of other types of millennial, like a post-millennial period and a amillennial uh, uh, point of view. And so there's different points of view when it comes to millennial. Is anybody bored? <laughs> because... This is going to be more like teaching and, and less preaching, but I am a preacher, so we'll see what happens here, but I feel like this is going to be, okay, so, and I have a ton of slides, so hang on, everybody, hopefully you had your coffee, do this if you need, stay with me. Okay, so there's different views of the millennial kingdom. I'm going to give you a pre-millennial kingdom view, which is basically that there is going to be there's going to be um, post post tribulation or post or rap, a rapture a rapture will take place which was which means the church the church or believers in Christ saints in Christ will be will uh, uh, you know meet the lord in the air okay and and will will be raptured so the church will leave this earth Okay, and then a seven-year tribulation will take place, and then after the tribulation, with a final sort of a final battle, which is you maybe you've heard of as a battle called Armageddon. Okay, so there'll be the battle of Armageddon, and then after that, Jesus will come back again. It will be the second coming of Jesus that Jesus will come back again, and He will establish His kingdom on earth when He returns. He will establish His kingdom on earth over a that's why it's called a millennial, over a thousand year period. A thousand year period of, of Jesus establishing his kingdom on earth. From the very get-go of the life of Jesus, this has been declared, okay? Let me give you a few Christmas verses that actually are more to have more to do with this context than it does with the first coming. It has more to do with the second coming than it does with the first coming. But this is when Jesus shows up on the scene uh, in his first advent. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. And then it says in verse 32, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So when he comes back again, he will establish, he will sit on the throne of David. And then look what it says next. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And here's what it is. Here's what it says. And of his, go back, go back, go back. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So right off the bat, he, the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. His name is Jesus. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Let me give you another one that we talk about around Christmas time. Isaiah 9. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Okay, that happened. 
First advent, a, a child was born, a son was given. We just looked at that. Jesus lived a life on this earth, grew up, wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man, became on the scene, lived for 33 years, was arrested, was crucified, but the grave couldn't hold him. He resurrected. He uh, ascended. After he ascended, he empowered this thing called the church, which is the church where we are in right now. One day we will be raptured and we will meet him in the air. And then a seven-year period of time on this earth will be the most horrific period of time ever to be. It would be a, a miserable time. And you want to be a pre-trib person because you don't want to be on planet earth when that tribulation period is happening. At the end of that seven years, he will then come back again. When he comes back again, he will establish his millennial kingdom on earth. And then this part happens. And the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, is he still that for us now? Sure. Is he that for us spiritually? Absolutely. He is, for you and for me right now, a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. He is the Prince of Peace. But then he will come back. But one day he will come back and he will actually physically reign on David's throne and people will see him as physical Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Goes on to say this about this period of time. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. What time forth? From the beginning of the millennial kingdom. From the beginning of the millennial kingdom, when he comes back again, his government will increase. There will be peace. There will be no end to that peace. He will be on, again, it says it again. He will be on the throne of David and he will establish it and it will uphold his kingdom. And the time on this period on earth will be of justice and with righteousness. It will be justice and righteousness. Now, no, not a lot of justice. Now, not a lot of righteousness. Do you agree? Righteousness, do you agree? But that he will come and he will uphold his justice with his righteousness from this time forth and then forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus also said this. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the only chance that you and I have of actually seeing this kingdom, the millennial kingdom, is that you have to be born again. You have to put your faith in Jesus that he was the atonement for your sin and for mine. And when you put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have a new nature. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and he has begun a good work 
in you and that work will be consummated and culminated in the beginning when he comes back again. You won't see this kingdom unless you put your faith in Jesus. You won't see it. He says this in Luke 4. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, I gotta tell you, I have way too many slides and I wanted to have 50 more. There's, I'm, I can only give you so many verses, but there's dozens more where this came from, okay? Of how much Jesus talked about the kingdom and how much the Bible talks about specifically the millennial kingdom is more than Jesus or the Bible speaks of heaven. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus is saying, I, 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 was, I didn't just come to, not only to, to, to redeem those, but I also came to let those know that when they are redeemed and when they are born again, that they will see the kingdom of God. And, I, and that's ultimately where this is going. That's ultimately where this is going. And, and you and I have a part in that. You and I have a part of that. Now, Revelation 20, Revelation 20 is the most disputed, um, argued, um, text in maybe all of the Bible as far as the, vo the view of this time period that we're talking about, okay? But Revelation 20, here's what it says about this particular time period that we're looking at, okay? Revelation 20, verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, verse two. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Everybody say, yay. Okay. So this is, and it says, and he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until, here it is again, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. You say, boo. <laughs> okay. Verse four, we'll get to that in a minute. Verse four. Then I saw thrones, thrones, plural, and seated on them were those, plural, to whom the, author the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Pause. This is those who live miraculously, or excuse me, those who, who don't live through the tribulation period. Those who, those who are followers of Jesus, uh, saints in Christ, and because of their testimony and because of where they put their faith in, they are specifically, it mentions that they are beheaded. Now, we even hear these things. We hear these things are happening now. Those who put their faith in Christ, this is what he says will happen on a much, much larger scale. 
He says, then he says this, and those who had not worshiped the beast, which is the Antichrist, or its image, and had not uh, received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then it says this, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, which is the resurrection. The first resurrection is, is that we, we receive new bodies. We, we received um, immoral uh, bodies. We, we receive bodies that are imperishable. We'll talk about that in a second. He says, so the ones who shares in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. What is the second death? The second death is, is that the first death, death is when you die uh, some way here on earth, okay? You'll be re- resurrected, okay? And then if you are, if you don't know Christ, you will be cast in the lake of fire. That will be the second death, okay? That will be the second death. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years, okay? So, on the millenn- in the, in, on this earth, during this millennial kingdom, there's gonna be two distinct groups. Two distinct groups. The first group is what I call the glorifieds. The glorifieds. The glorifieds are those old and new covenant saints in Christ. Those are the glorifieds. Um, Let's read an Old Testament uh, reference to this. In Daniel, it says this, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. We, we sang a song about that today, right? That's our testimony, is that our name is written you know, in the book of life. This is from Daniel. And then he says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we're all eternal beings. We all will live for eternity. Some will go to everlasting life if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And others will go to what he calls everlasting contempt to those who are not born again. We okay? okay? This is heavy today. Here's what, here's what happens to us when he does come back again. And we, according to Revelation 20, we will come back with him. When we come back with him, we will, have, we will be glorified. We'll have our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 50, 15, 50 says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your, your natural uh, you know, your natural sinful nature was what he means. Your natural sinful nature cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imp- the, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Then he goes to say this, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm so glad Paul even called it a mystery because there's just some things about this that are, we just don't quite understand. But Paul says, I, I know, I'm with you, but here's what I know. We shall all sleep. We shall, we shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. How will we be changed? He goes on to say this. In, a, in the moment, 
in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Go back. And we shall be changed. Verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Okay? So we are gonna come back with Christ, with our, with our imperishable, with our immortal state, our, our new bodies, our new bodies. What, what does that look like? What, is, what about this imperishable, this immoral body? Well, we'll be comparable to angels. We'll be comparable to angels. We will, we will be elevated or raised to a higher spiritual plane. Okay, so a couple examples that we see in the, in the scriptures of when Jesus resurrected, when Jesus resurrected, Jesus ate with, with his disciples. So there was something about it that was material enough for him to eat and to be touched. Remember when Thomas was like, I won't believe unless I touch the holes in your hands and on your side, right? And so there will be something material about us and that we'll eat, we probably won't need it. We won't need it for like we need it today, but there will be something material about us. But then when Jesus, not only was he eating and he, he could be touched physically, that Jesus could also walk through walls of doors that were locked. And Jesus also ascended into heaven. So our, our, what, we, what little we know, what little we know about these immortal bodies, these, these imperishable bodies, is that it will be material, but it will also be so spiritual that we'll be able to, I don't know, fly, walk through walls. Here's what we also know. We'll fully know. We'll fully know. So another example is, is that when uh, three of Jesus's disciples went with Jesus and Jesus had a meeting. And Jesus's meeting, what we know from Luke, was about this. And Jesus was meeting with two guys, with Jesus's three buddies. And the two guys that Jesus was meeting with was Moses and Elijah. Moses was dead for quite some time and Elijah never died. But there they were. Here's what's interesting about that. Peter and James and John who were with Jesus and saw Jesus transfigure, saw Jesus in his glorified state. Peter, James, and John knew who it was. They knew it was Moses and they knew it was Elijah. What we can see that there was no formal introductions. This is Moses. You mean Moses? Moses? Like Moses, Egypt, Red Sea. Like there was none of that. Elijah? Like, no, like none of that. They, they spiritually knew. Here's another thing. Language. They spoke different languages based on the different time frames. Now, Jesus could speak any language that Jesus wanted to speak. But here's what Peter, James, and John, they couldn't. And they understood clearly what was being talked about with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. 
And so people say, will we know each other? Will we recognize each other? Yes. You'll know who people are. And we won't have name tags in heaven. You'll know exactly who that person is, even though you've never met them. Even though they're from a different tribe, tongue, or nation. You've never met them before in your whole entire life. You and I, once we get our new bodies, our imperishable bodies, we will fully know everyone, just as we will look at, hopefully if we get there in a minute, we'll we'll fully know just as we are fully known by God. There's a continual from the natural to the spiritual. We will recognize one another. What What will we look like? I have no idea. I have no idea. All, I, all we can conjecture is, is that Jesus, after the resurrection, Jesus was recognized, sort of. Sort of. It, it took them a minute. It, it, Jesus walked seven miles with people and they had no idea who they were talking to until it finally hit them and then he disappeared. That's you if you are born again. That's you if you're born again. Now, that's one distinct group of people who will be on this earth during the millennial kingdom, the glorifieds. There will also be what I call the naturals the naturals, or the earthlies, the earthlies. So during this time, there'll be those of us who are in Christ, old, new covenant believers in Christ, and but also those who miraculously put their faith in Christ during the terrible seven-year tribulation period, survived that and have now moved into the millennial kingdom after Jesus came back again. Now, of the naturals, there's, there's a two different types of group, two groups. The one group, distinct group, are the believing Gentiles. The believing Gentiles. I say the believing Gentiles is because when Jesus says in Matthew 25 that when he comes back again, him and, him and, and his angels... And, 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 and us, glorifieds, that he's gonna come down to this earth and he's gonna separate what he says in Matthew 25. He's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. Do you remember this? He's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. And those who he declares are sheep will, be, will, will, be, will enter, in to the, enter in into the millennial kingdom. But those who are what he declares to be goats Those who are not born again, those that didn't put their faith in Jesus, even though they survived through the tribulation period, they will be removed from this earth. So only believing Gentiles, which I would assume is a majority of us in this room, only believing Gentiles will move into the millennial kingdom, but they will move into the millennial kingdom in their earthly natural state. They will not have glorified bodies like we will if we die prior to the rapture or if we're raptured. If you're not raptured, 
you have another opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. But I'll say this to you with all love. Good luck. Good luck. It is going to be a terrible, hard, difficult period for you. And maybe you'll be one of those that are beheaded. But you'll go to and you'll get your glorified body and you'll come back and you'll rule and reign with Jesus on this earth. Another group will be Jews, the Jews. Another distinct group, God's chosen people. Now, again, speculation. By the time the tribulation period ends, the amount of Jews... Basically, the world is going to turn on the, on the Jewish people. It's basically what's going to happen. And, and the, the, the speculation is that, is that millions, maybe millions, millions of Jews won't, won't survive. Because the world, the whole world during that seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will turn on God's chosen people. And, and millions of them will, won't make it. So whatever Jews are left, here's what um, Zechariah says about that. In Zechariah 12, 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. So this is, this is hundreds of years. Zechariah is hundreds of years before Jesus was pierced for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. Crucifixion wasn't even a, a thought in, in the minds, but here it is written in scripture hundreds of years before crucifixion. It says that whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. How, how bad will they mourn for him? As one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And so speculation is, is that whoever, whatever Jews are left and that survived during the tribulation period, that they all will come to see that Jesus is their Messiah and that they missed him the first time, but they're not going to miss him the second time. That's what's going to happen. And they, in their natural earthly state, will enter into the millennial kingdom. And who will be the vice president of Jesus, who is the king of kings and Lord of lords? It will be none other than, during this time, Prince David. Otherwise known as King David. Otherwise known as the guy with the slingshot that killed the giant. He will be the vice regent, the vice president, if you will, during this time. I'll give you a verse real quick, and I could give you 10 more. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servants, Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. Okay? Cool. So, boy, do I have a long ways to go in a short amount of time. Okay. <laughs> what is God's reason? What is God's reason? What is God's reason? Next slide, please. God's reason for the millennial kingdom. God's reason for the millennial kingdom is to fulfill promises, to fulfill promises, okay? 
All right. That means he's going to come back and he's going to restore what has been lost. He's going to redeem what has been broken. He's going to bring back together the earth of what it was meant and intended to be in the Garden of Eden. That's what's going to happen. And you and I are going to rule and reign with him in that. So he's going to fulfill some promises. So what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. It says that in Isaiah 2, Isaiah talks a lot about the millennial kingdom. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways. So so what's going to happen during this time period when Jesus comes back? People that are on the earth, glorified and the naturals are going to come and they're going to want him to teach us his ways that we may walk in his path. for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So people will come in masses to want to know the teachings and the ways of God. This is what's going to happen on this earth. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. He says this, Verse four, and he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Why will they do that? And their spears into pruning hooks. Why would they do that? Nations shall not lift up sword against nations. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There'll be no more war. No more disputes. No more fighting. You know what's the irony here? That at the UN building in New York City is this verse right here. The UN building in New York City is this verse. Also there around that building is a statue, is a statue, it's a bronze statue gifted by the Russians to us in 1959 of a, a warrior Uh, with a sword, turning it into a plowshare. You can go there today. It was a gift from Russia to the United States of of this verse. It's laughable. It's laughable. The only time there will be peace on earth, the only time there will be world peace, is when Jesus comes back and establishes himself on the throne as king, as mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's the only time. It's the only time. That time will be this though. Isaiah 11 says this, and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf of the lion, the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. This is the picture. How incredible is this? Verse seven, the cow and the bear shall graze their young, uh, shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. It says this, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. This is the picture of what is to come. This is a picture of what's to come. Not too long ago, 
um, my family and I went to the Detroit Zoo, and we were walking around the Detroit Zoo, and we noticed a, a large crowd of people gathered around at the tiger exhibit. And we're wondering, what is all these people gathered around doing? They were looking at this tiger that was laying down on the wall and where everybody could get right up close to this tiger and see this beautiful creature laying down. And it was just this awesome thing. And I turned to my kids and I said, what's the one thing that will change for it to go from calm, cool, and collected to chaos and terror? And they said, I don't know, Dad, what? I said, this wall right here. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, it was beautiful, like cool, calm, collected. Here's this tiger lying down, like, like literally just, you know, a foot away. But I'm so glad that there was this big wall, <laughs> clear wall that was separating us. In the millennial kingdom, when Jesus is on the throne, there will be no more wall. There will be no more wall. And you won't be in total horror panic when your child is playing over a cobra's hole. Can we imagine this? Let's bring it back to us for a second. Romans 8 says this. These are promises, by the way. These are, these are fulfilled promises. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Come on, everybody. I consider the sufferings of this present time. Anybody, life hard? Life difficult? Life has its challenges? It will not compare with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He says this in verse 19, for the creation waits eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the glorified, the glory of God coming back and establishing his place on this earth. He says, creation waits an eager longing for the revealing of that. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to, to futility or another way to describe that was that creation was subjected to frustration, to aggravation, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Why? So that we can hope in this day. We can hope in this time. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we, verse 22 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So in other words, what he's saying is right now, it's, he's describing it like a woman who is pregnant and getting ready to deliver a baby. Now, I don't know what that necessarily means as far as my point of view, but from my wife's point of view and your point of view, ladies, that's not fun. It's not fun. But you long for and you wait for the time that this baby can be delivered and that's the picture, that's the analogy that the Apostle Paul is giving to us. 
groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And then he says this, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. Last verse. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Listen. He will come back and make right everything that is wrong now. Wait patiently for that. And you will experience what it means to be fully, fully, fully glorified and redeemed through Christ Jesus. The earth will be exactly the way that God intended it to be. What is God's role for you in the millennial kingdom? God's role for you is to be faithful kings and priests. God's role for you is to be faithful kings and priests. Revelation 2 says this, talking specifically to the church of Thyatira. He says, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So you in your glorified state or, or you might get in in your natural state. So let's say like any minute, some are raptured and you're not. You have seven years to make your commitment to Christ and you'll move into the millennial kingdom after those seven years if you, if you survive. And he says, in those, he says, I will give authority over nations. You'll have that authority. He says also in, in Revelation uh, 5, says, or, uh, and he, and, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, yeah, stay there. And he will rule them with a rod of, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pot, pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Goes on to say this in Revelation Five, nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. If you know Christ, you're born again, you'll see the kingdom and you will reign as king, kingettes, and priests. You're like, me? I know. I know. I feel the same. But this is the redemption plan of God. And it's supposed to start now, by the way. It's supposed to start now, by the way. 
It's supposed to start that you understand your authority and your role within the kingdom of God. Because Peter says it this way about the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You as the church, as the believers, as the, those who were born again, you, according to Peter says, hey, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation and a people of God's own possession. And you need to be a people that are proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his light. Today, start proclaiming today. And you can say, he's coming again. And you're going to want to be with me. More importantly, you're going to want to be with him. Because he's coming again. He's coming again. And you and I, our role, what we do here and now, will carry into what we do and our responsibility and our authority that we have in the kingdom of God. In that beginning stage of forever called the millennial kingdom. You will have authority. Can I give you some fun tidbit, even though I don't have a lot of time to tell you about it? Last week I told you that aren't you glad that you don't have to show up to church and make a animal sacrifice of worship anymore? Well... Come to find out, in the millennial kingdom, that will be reinstated. And it won't be because of your sins that need to be atoned or that for the naturals or the earthlies that will need to be atoned. It will be like communion that we take. It will be like baptism that we do. It will be a... a amplified demonstration of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So during this millennial period, you might actually have to get your hands dirty. It's interesting. Also, during this millennial kingdom, it says that it says that a 100-year-old a 100-year-old will be like a child. That during this millennial kingdom that the earthlies will live, they'll, they'll, have, they'll be able to marry. The glorifieds will not. Why? Because Jesus said that uh, after we're in our glorified state, we will not be given to marriage. So there'll be no marriage for those who are glorified. But for those who are earthly, those who are natural, go into the millennial kingdom in their natural state, they will be able to marry. They will be able to have children and children and grandchildren and grandchildren for over a thousand year period. And those people will then be able to grow, some say, to hundreds of years old. You could be four or 500 years old and feel like a 20 year old. That's what the Bible teaches about this period. Well, over that period of a thousand years, as the earth begins to repopulate, there, will be, there could be hundreds of billions of people now on this 
perfect utopia of justice and righteousness on planet Earth. And at the end of this thousand-year period, we will see the final punishment. And I say this, God's responsibility to justice in the millennial kingdom, because there will be, there won't be, it won't be without sin because there will be natural earthly people on earth during this time. So there will be sin and you and I, our position and our job as king, kingettes and priests will be to rule with justice and righteousness. And according to the verse that we just looked at, that we will rule with a rod of iron. And we won't tolerate, nor will God tolerate, sin. And many, many will conform to the ways of God. And many will see the fruits of God as being king on this planet. And they'll want and they'll long and they'll desire to be in relationship with Jesus. But after a thousand year period of time and the earth is repopulated, here's what happens. A final punishment will happen. Why this happens, I don't know. But maybe it's just, maybe this, this is just my conjecture. Maybe it's to show the ugliness of the human, natural, sinful heart. That no matter what environment anybody grow, you know, is in and predisposition to, that all people are susceptible to sin in their natural bodies. In their natural bodies. And so there'll be, God will be, have a responsibility to justice in this millennial kingdom and there'll be a final punishment. Here's what happens as we conclude. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from this prison. Verse eight. And, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. So apparently, at the end of the thousand years, after generation of generation of generation of generation, there'll be some that will still, because of their natural sinful nature, they'll still rebel and their heart, their true heart will be revealed and they will join forces with Satan and in his deception. And it would be like, it'd be like the sand of the sea. But what will happen is, is that Verse nine, and they will march up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. You can say yay. yay. And then it says this, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur, sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. And you and I will move into the eternal state. And there'll be a new heaven 
and a new earth. So Paul says, and Paul makes it so practical, okay? And here's what Paul says, and here's where I want us to, want us to walk away from this today, okay? Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. But when the perfect comes, Jesus, he's the perfect. When the perfect comes, the partial the partial will pass away. He says, when I was a child, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He says in verse 12, he says, in other words, what he means by that is I'm growing. I'm growing, I'm maturing. I'm growing up in my faith. I'm maturing. He says, for now, so now, right now, everybody say now, for now we see in a mere dimly. But then, face to face. Now we see just a glimpse of what does it mean to be and live in the millennial kingdom, to reign and rule on earth, to be kings and priests. It's like a mere dim. It's a dim mirror. But then we'll see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part. In other words, I only have a little bit of the story. I can only see what's going on a little bit. I, I, I'm, I'm in this present time. I'm, I'm going through some, some difficulties and some challenges. But then one day when he comes back again and I'm in my glorified state, I won't know in part. I will know fully. I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known by God. Then the most practical advice, verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. So right now, my recommendation is what Paul is saying. You got to have faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Put your faith in Jesus. Then when you have faith in Jesus, you can have hope. Hope for something that isn't seen yet. But we see in a mere dimly what this hope will look like. That the lion will lay down with the lamb. That the child will play over the hole of a cobra. That there will be no more walls separating you from a tiger. And that you will be fully removed from the pains and the battles and the struggles and the tribulations and the worries and the fears and the anxieties and the loss and the anguish and the grief of this life. You can hope now for something better to come. And love and love agape love, unconditional love. 
So now, have faith, have hope, and love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself love. He says these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Because when you get to the millennial kingdom, you won't need faith. You know why you won't need faith? Because you'll see him face to face. When you get to the millennial kingdom, you won't need hope. Why? Because your hope is here. And your hope is realized. But you know what will continue on forever and forever and forever and forever. And why Paul says the greatest of these is love. You will and still can love. And that's what will forever will be. And you, for right now, for now, 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 faith, hope, love. And the greatest is love because love will continue on forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. I pray that whatever I said today that wasn't true, I pray that it just fell on deaf ears. I pray that it just landed to the ground. I pray also that each person in this room will want to have an understanding of this for themselves and to even see all the different points of view of it and to come to a place of conviction and a place where they interpret the hope that they can have. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Lord, I just pray that everybody here in this room knows that there's gonna be one day you are gonna come back again and you're gonna reign and rule on this earth and it will be a perfect place, a place that it was always intended to be and you've positioned us into a role in it that none of us deserve to have. And I just pray, Lord, that we're prepared to the best of our abilities for that time because it does seem like it's just right around the corner. It's, it just feels like it's gonna, it could happen in any moment and we don't know the time or the hour. We don't know the day and the moment. We don't know any of that. But we're just anticipating, waiting patiently for the redemption of our bodies. And Lord, I just pray God for whatever truth that was presented here today that this truth was, just sits and, and just takes root in, in their hearts. And as the scripture talks about these times, Lord, it, it, it encourages us to just encourage, encourage one another with these words. And I pray, Lord, as people go through loss and pain and grief and worry and anxiety and all the things that this world brings, that, they, that we encourage each other. We encourage each other in this time. Father, for now, until you come back, until the perfect comes, for now we're just gonna have faith, we're just gonna have hope, and we're gonna love. That's what we're gonna do right now. In Jesus' name, amen.